Welcome to the first episode of Labor Intensive, a show about the labor movement in Canada. I am your host, Jody Tomchishin. On today's show, we have an interview with Organize UW. But first, the news, sort of. Going forward, I plan to have this opening section be a space for news where we can cover even international stories, like the fact that SAG-AFTRA, which represents actors, broadcast journalists, stunt performers, yesterday voted overwhelmingly in favor of a strike, with the writers having already been on strike for a month. But I will leave that there just as a little taste. Instead, for this first episode, I want to give a brief little synopsis of what is happening with this podcast. Since I am releasing this on the same feed as my previous podcast, Imperial News, I imagine some of you who are still subscribed and haven't been following me on social media might be surprised and confused about the change of the podcast. Having worked on that show for almost four years, I kind of needed a break from it. I still think it is very important to cover the far right in Canada, but I started to feel I wanted to do something a bit more proactive. Not to mention the benefits on my mental health for not having to cover the far right constantly. I also wanted to use this space on today's episode to thank everyone who listened to that podcast over the years for all of the support, and thanks to my two co-hosts in that time, both uh, Caitlin and Vienno. Thank you very much. It was wonderful working with both of you, and again, thanks to everyone for tuning into that. But now, we are entering a new era, the labor-intensive era. My goal with this podcast is to cover the labor movement in Canada with a slightly more focused lens. You know, like like an intense lens. <laughs> this means I hope to talk not just to union representatives, but workers and also academics who can teach us about the history and legality of unionization in Canada. In that sense, I hope this podcast can be both useful to those who are currently in a union, but also for those who are just starting to organize. I am aware as well, as someone on the left, that unions come with their own sets of contradictions. They are not necessarily going to solve the class struggle, and they aren't necessarily going to end capitalism, if that is indeed your goal. But unions are at the forefront of these struggles, and I think it is important for those of us who want a better, more equitable future to both understand the labor movement and to join in solidarity with those workers who are fighting to try to improve their conditions. I should add that I'm not some random person either when it comes to this subject. I was an active member and the communications chair with my old local PSAC 610, which represented teaching assistants and postdocs at the University of Western Ontario. I was also an executive with my local labor council, the London and District Labor Council. I should say, shout out to labor councils. If you want to find some way to get involved in your local community, labor councils usually welcome even non-union members to their general member meetings. You can't vote on anything unless you're a delegate, but you can still help out. And if you want their help to try to organize your workplace, I'm sure they would be able to point you in the right direction as well. So I hope that is a sufficient brief synopsis of what I plan to do with this show. The news segment at the beginning of the show will start next episode, and I plan on releasing this show weekly, every Wednesday. One thought I had 
for the news segment is to get some listeners' suggested news items. If you are a member of a union and you have a strike vote coming up, or if you are organizing a new unit, or whatever, send me an email at laborintensivepod at gmail.com. And for the non-Canadian listeners, that's labor with a U. Even if you are an international listener, Solidarity Knows No Borders, send me an email, we will add it to the show if we can. It is one way I think we can start to build our own community here. Of course, I may have to amend this, depending on how many emails I get with news items, but we will see how this goes as we continue. If you are looking for labor updates, I should also recommend here the newsletter Shiftwork, which is prepared by Emily Leadham and released by Press Progress. There will be a link to that in the show notes. Lastly, before I get to the interview, I want to shout out Harbinger Media Network for being supportive of this show, and a special thanks to Andre Goulet for the name of the podcast. I pitched the idea of the show to him, he suggested the name, and I couldn't think of anything that was more powerful and fitting for the show than labor-intensive. So now Andre's essence is permanently affixed to the show. Now, for this week's interview, I have with me Albara, Arslan, Julia, and Max. They are all, or at least some were, teaching assistants at the University of Waterloo, which happens to be one of the few, maybe one of the only universities in Ontario whose TAs have not yet unionized. For the past few years, Various working groups on campus have come together under the name Organize UW. If you want more information or would like to help them out, you can visit their website, organizeuw.org, or even follow them on social media. They are on Instagram and Twitter. Give them a follow and help them increase their reach. I wanted this to be my first topic because what better way to kick off this podcast about the labor movement than to cover workers who are currently in the process of organizing their workplace. So without further ado, here is my chat with some members of Organize UW. I am here with some teaching assistants at University of Waterloo which I, I should say, full disclosure, I used to be a teaching assistant at University of Waterloo, but they are currently in the process of organizing a TA union and, and possibly postdoc. We can get into that stuff, but uh, a TA union. And uh, yes, I, I guess I wanted to have all of you here so that my audience, as this should be the first episode that goes out, will get a sense of what it's like to start organizing a union at a workplace where there isn't this unit. Because I think there's other unions on campus as well, but we can get into that if you want as well at some point. But yes, uh, you're all starting to organize a union. So I guess we'll, how we'll start this, since there's uh, four of you here, how about we'll we'll go in order and just introduce yourself and tell us... Uh, what department you're in at the university. So let's start with uh, Julia. Yeah, um, I, I, I guess with the postdocs, I've heard mixed accounts on this. It is possible that they would be part of the bargaining unit. That's just something we need to 
to negotiate with the university if we get like a representative portion of them to sign union cards. So it's still up in airs whether they're going to be part of the union or not. So that's what we're telling postdocs. They're like, we're like, sign a card if you're sympathetic, um, but not you're not necessarily going to be part of the bargaining unit just based on like our negotiation with the employer. But anyway, I'll introduce myself. <laughs> I'm Julia. Uh, I'm in uh, psychology. I uh, finished my master's and I'm going to start my PhD in the uh, fall term. Awesome. Albara. Uh, I'm an electrical engineering PhD student in my third year. So I've got two more years left and I'm done. Arslan. Hi. Yeah, I was a master's student in the mechanical and mechatronics engineering department. And um, I just graduated actually a couple weeks <laughs> ago. Uh, yeah. And now I'm just helping out, sticking around, you know? And uh, lastly, Max. Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm a mechanical engineering student as well. I'm a master's student. Um, and I guess I'm doing my master's until I can finish my thesis or until my supervisor gets sick of me. And yeah, we'll see which one happens first. Now, the first thing I want to ask all of you is because I, I find that there's often a misconception in the public about what TAs do. I knew, no, as a person who used to be a TA myself, both unionized and ununionized, it is interesting the the perspective the public has on it. So I'm, I'm curious what your, I guess, duties are as a TA. If if you were to educate the public on the commonality, because you all, you all are in different departments, but what is the thing that makes being a TA in common for all of you? So I think in commonality between all the departments, as a TA, you work and then you get underpaid. So there's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> that is the defining right? Like We're not really making Lambo money as TAs. It's actually was surprising to me that the public isn't aware of that. They think because yeah. you're a grad student that you must be making a substantial amount of money. Yet even when, when I was a TA at Western, I think it was something like 40% of our members in our union still had to use the food bank to survive. Like we, mm. we as TAs are paid way below like a standard of living. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Definitely. And it doesn't keep up with inflation at all. Like I know many people that are in the negative every month just because of rent. So, but just to actually answer your question for TAs, um, our duties generally is number one, you always, you'll most likely be marking an exam, right? Exams, quizzes, you'll be marking. That's like your official duty. Number two, you may be teaching. So like uh, as a, uh, a tutorials or you'll be in the lab or something like that. And number three, you'll be proctoring exams. So you'll be there watching, making sure students don't cheat. Um, maybe if I can add on to that, like there's also just like a bunch of duties that like are just things that profs don't want to do. Like I've had a lot of uh, co or uh, colleagues have said that they've had to like design different aspects of the course. Yeah, it's just like a bunch of duties, a bunch of things involved with like running a course um, that maybe like the prof doesn't have time to do because they're always busy. Can I add like a clarifying, like comprehensive, like I think like the thing that the defining feature of being a TA is you're providing support for an instructor who runs a course. So like every single course, there an, there's an instructor, they like create the curriculum, they give the lectures, they are the ones teaching the content of the course, and the teaching assistants get any role that's assigned by the instructor 
that the instructor um, like isn't doing for the course. So things like marking, running seminars, like uh, like having these. A seminar would be when you are in a room with a smaller amount of students than are in the lecture hall, and you're like engaging in like conversation or like running a discussion with the students. Like that's the role a TA plays. I'm curious when it comes to the. I mean, one of the the common features here is grading, and one thing that's interesting about that is like there's no i mean grading can sometimes take long uh it's not necessarily like depending on how many students are in the class etc so as a group of tas who are currently not unionized how does that process work like if do you have a set amount of hours in your current contract even if it's not a union negotiated contract and if you work longer what's the process of like i don't know getting overtime i've done like 12 ta's so i've been through the ringer with them and it's usually the luck of the draw if your professor like i had a professor amazing um he would sit in the beginning of the semester make an excel sheet and say okay these are your hours this is your training time included. This is your estimated grading time. Let me know if you're going above your hours. That is what should be done. But other times with grading, it'll be like, just do it. And they're not watching your hours. So you, there is no process for getting overtime pay that I know of. I could be mistaken with other departments. Yeah, it's something you hear across departments. There's this like major variety in um the hours that you're working a week based on like the discretion of the instructor uh largely who's like designing the course what as a ta you're assigned like 60 or 120 or something hours per term since there's no like typically you you're not recording the number of hours that you're doing and the like work that you're assigned is ostensibly supposed to take up exactly that amount of hours but like if you go over that's not really recorded and so a lot of students are finding that like the amount of work that they're assigned it's really unreasonable to expect them to finish it in the like number of hours that they've been assigned and so like a lot of students are finding that they are working overtime and there's no grievance process for that you just have to work the extra hours um, and if you don't, that it's like the students who are at a disadvantage then. The next question I want to ask, which is uh, kind of, we're already sort of hinting around it, but I, I guess we could go through all of you. Like, why, why, do you, why do you all want to unionize? I want a Lambo. So <laughs> I heard that a union gets you extra pay. So uh, no, for me, the reason I want to unionize is that there's a couple of them. Number one, income doesn't match inflation. So the cost of living is going up. And at the moment, if you don't match it, you're getting a pay cut. It just doesn't appear so on paper. So that's one of the bigger ones. Second, I don't feel like my back is protected because if I have a grievance that I want to file, I don't know where to put that, right? It's like I can complain, but to whom? If the professor's good, which I've worked with a lot of great professors, you're solid. But if they're not, and I've worked with professors that are not, then you just, you're just screwed pretty much at the end of it. There's a lot of unpaid time as well. Like uh, they can add on to the other uh, organizers with me here, but many times they'll be like, okay, learn how to do this lab, prepare this tutorial, and they don't include it in your hours and they should. At this moment, we do not have a way to represent our interests to the university 
the like current process of like getting a contract with universities that they can unilaterally like determine the conditions of our work and we're finding that like the conditions of our work are like uh we're not getting a living wage uh we're asked to work more hours than we're paid to do and that type of thing and the unit like the union is the way that we can like collect together amongst ourselves we we find that we're strong to get together and we can represent ourselves and have like leverage and negotiating power we're like at the table with the university in order to like sediment protections for us um when we're like bargaining with the university to determine the conditions of our work in canada i mean legally the only way you can actually can have the constitutional right to negotiate with your employer is when you're in a collective bargaining unit you can't like uh you don't have the right to negotiate as an individual i mean you could but it's not like they're legally obliged to negotiate your contracts and benefit packages with you so the only way to do that is through a union and which is what we're trying to get done yeah we were talking about this earlier um it's a protected right in canada to be able to form a union and like the act that we're under we moved from the was it uh, we're under the labor relations act now but it's the standard employment act previously. so we're currently we're currently under the employment standards act right. meaning that if we have a grievance we can only bring it up individually but if we were to unionize we'd be under i think it's called the labor relations act meaning that by law the university has to make a good faith effort to negotiate with us and so that's a lot of power that a union would give the crux of my thing is very anecdotal but like i've been in the city of waterloo for 7 years and basically the price of or the cost of rent has basically doubled and obviously ta pay hasn't the university actually gave us a slight ta raise when they found out we were trying to form a union so that they could say look you don't need it but ultimately that union didn't or that sorry that raise ended up screwing over some people and we can talk about clawbacks later but basically the ta pay went up but their research uh uh pay went down um and ultimately they can just pull that all back they can say oh it's a recession sorry no more for you so ultimately the only way to like make real gains that like we agree to um and like have something that we've like fought for and we can keep is with the union i noticed on your social media account that like you had a new contract in january that was kind of like sprung on you or like what what was the deal with that and uh I mean, for one, like this is another benefit of like the unionization is having a contract that you get to negotiate where the employer doesn't just on a whim hit you with a new contract. I think you're talking about policy 31 here. They just updated it without consulting anyone and telling us and just, uh, yeah, they spring things on you. You know, it's all completely arbitrary. So it goes to show why you need like a, a, a collective agreement, right? Because then every any change can be disputed by the collective whereas now you're you 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 just take it policy 31 oh you've got like um 100 new pages of the policy whereas it was what um a couple sentences before that and you can't do anything about it that's just who's going to read all of that you know terms and conditions i was just to say what specifically was policy 31 or was it just this uh, introduction of more pages to the contract Policy 31 is a policy that has to do with teaching assistant and research as I'm not sure about research assistants but it has to do with employment for TAs on campus. So everything about 
TA employment, that's policy 31, like how you go about doing that. There's no standardized contract that everyone, there's no baseline. So policy 31 is that, I guess, in effect, which is also, so now we've like brought up contracts like three times in this conversation. And it's also a very peculiar fact about you, Waterloo, that not ev- not everyone has a contract, actually. Some people don't. Uh, yeah, which is also one of the things we're t- trying to change by unionizing. Basically, in like different faculties, you get different contracts. Some of them you don't get contracts. And some of them, like, um, I, I, I know it's like a common thing where like you get hired at the beginning of a term for one role, and then you end up like doing a di- like getting moved to a different role. Um, but yeah, ultimately, if you're in um, one faculty, you're going to have a different or just no contract compared to somebody in a different faculty. So yeah, one of the aims of the union is to organize collectively for just one contract. Just to add on to that policy to what Max added, I joined the union quite recently, maybe like two months. It was actually Max that brought me in, but I didn't know anything about this change. I wasn't, I, I had no idea until I went on the website. And t- to be honest, till now, I don't know what really changed other than they added like another 14 pages and they removed the line that TA pay is subject to the Pay Equity Act. I wasn't explained what they're going to do or how, what's going to change because of it. So do they, do they not even in, inform you that this change happened? Like, so they just were like, Things have changed. Just we're hoping no one would notice. <laughs> we we got informed in like an email, but you know, it's it's like it's like nobody reads the terms and conditions when you get an iPod. I'm sure I'm sure some people have read it, but like you know, ultimately they turned like it was like a pretty short policy into quite a long policy. I mean, unlike terms and conditions too. I mean, like an email doesn't. At least if you're going to a terms and conditions, there's the accept or like not accept. You know, like some kind yeah. of like assent to like. I agree. Like you don't even get this. You just get a, an email dictated to you about what, what your employment is now. And it's headed under a lot of legalese that if it's not your thing, you wouldn't know what it's about. And I imagine that's to, pro- it's to protect their asses and not, uh, not you, I assume. I want to say I will see the best in people. So I always assume that the university is working in our interests. So I'm sure that this is good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in case in case they're listening, right? <laughs> <laughs> I and I now want to ask a more like practical question. So in case there's anyone else out there who are themselves trying to organize their own workplace. Now I know a university is a little bit different than other uh, occupations, but I am curious. What what are some of the things that you had to do to become? I mean, you're not a union yet, uh, legally, officially, but like, what are some of the things that you need to do as you're organizing to actually get a union? Okay, so I'll add on just my small perspective as like the third generation, because like I was brought in by someone who was brought in by someone, assuming brought in by like the original people. I'm just guessing here, so. From what I've been told about how they started is that they approached a couple of unions and they asked them to give like a presentation on which one, like which one would be more suitable for UW. And at the end of the day, they chose QP, which is the Canadian Union of Public Employees. I believe it's the largest union. They, they had a compelling uh, presentation, including that I think that they worked with a lot of universities as well. 
And so that was the first step, getting that set up. The next step was getting hit by COVID like two months in. So that was a mess. I, I heard there's a lot of, it was tough. It was tough then. And after that, I'm going to leave it to my uh, fellow volunteers. Yeah, maybe I can provide like one or two like boots on the ground things that we've been we've been kind of doing and then people can jump in and like add some perspective on that. So I guess one big thing is we're trying to get people to sign cards, as was mentioned. So we like need to find students. First of all, there's like thousands of TAs on campus and we just like don't know where they are. So once we like find them, we like knock on their door. We say, can we talk to you for a minute? Um, and then we ask them if they've heard about the union. We tell them what we're kind of trying to do. We talk to them about their work conditions. So like ask them if there's stuff that they're interested in improving, if there's like stuff that they've had issues with. And like a lot of the times they won't bring up anything initially, but then like kind of once you get into it, they'll start bringing things up. But yeah, ultimately you want to kind of see if there's things that they're interested in getting. And then you could say how, like, like have you ever tried to get these things? Uh, usually you've, you'll like maybe have sent an email to a professor or something or to an administrator and like not gotten much back. And so you kind of go from there and talk to them about the union, get them to sign a card and hopefully get them to organize with you as well. That's a really big thing. We don't just need people to sign a card and wait for the election. We need people to organize and get all their friends to sign a card as well. Uh, talk to uh, just like advertise it, talk to everybody they see about it. Um, get the word out because it's really, really hard to get. If you really want to volunteer and help out, you'll always find us at the grad house. Uh, it's a place on campus, 5 to 7 p.m. on Mondays. We're always there for something called Stomptisch, German, <laughs> weird name. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> you'll find us there. Or you can email us on the email, and uh, I'll just find it right now and throw it up if you want to volunteer because we need volunteers. I was going to say, I'll, I'll just add, we have other ways of reaching out to people. Like we have, a, we, we like set up tables outside events and we like talk to classes. But yeah, I just wanted to give one example as, as we go around knocking on doors. But yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of like stuff we do on campus to reach as many grad students as possible. What's the threshold, I guess, in terms of like getting people to sign cards? Does that become difficult, especially since COVID has happened? And I know that a lot of people don't necessarily work on campus. We need to get 40% of the currently employed TAs and RAs to have signed a card within the last year. Um, so when we started the union, the or the union drive, the uh, pandemic and the closing down of the uh, campus happened almost immediately afterwards. And so reaching people was a major problem. Um, and I remember I started myself uh, maybe a year into the drive when the campus was still closed, but like barely beginning to open up. And like we were talking about like new ways of organizing to reach people because just like sending them emails wasn't really working. Cards were getting signed, people were talking, but like actually like reaching the numbers was was extremely difficult. And the first like initiative that we did to contact people was since the campus was closed, we went to uh, like Waterloo Park, just a local park, and we set up a table um, and we just talked to passersby and we were like, are you a grad student? And no, most of the time they weren't. Um, because it was a local park, uh, I think we did actually manage to catch a couple grad students that way. It's only after that um, we've been working with the GSA, the Grad Student Association. Uh, Alvara talked about the Grad House 
the next initiative we started was setting up a table at the grad house. And that was really great for getting students, but it turns out that not every graduate student goes to the graduate house on campus. And so we found that like with that initiative, we were catching a lot more grad students that we otherwise wouldn't have. But now it seems to be that uh, we're catching a lot of the same people. So while we're not, we haven't talked to uh, as many graduate students as there are on campus, the people that we're catching at the grad house are, uh, they usually, they're like, hello, yes, no, I've, I've signed a card. We know you people. Thank you for your efforts, but I've, I've signed a card. You've asked me many times at this point. <laughs> um, so uh, it, yes, to short answer, yes, it's been very difficult to get the word out um, that the union drive is ongoing. And it's only recently that we've started even more initiatives after like uh, the campuses opening up more and more. Uh, we started, as we've mentioned, class talks, where we ask professors whether we can have five minutes just to raise awareness about the drive at the beginning of a class. And we give just like a short spiel, like who we are, how you can find us and what we're trying to do. Um, and we also do uh, in-person outreach, which means like we go out uh, and we knock on office doors um, and we try to like engage students in conversation to find out like what their working conditions are and like how a union can help them type thing. How receptive is the faculty then? I'm, I'm guessing since some of them uh, have allowed you to come in front of the class and give speeches. I think it's also like Waterloo has a faculty association, if I'm not mistaken. So they are themselves. It's not it's not exactly a union, but it's it's in the same ballpark as, as a union. So, yeah. How, how receptive have they been? Or is it just like you have your uh, professors that, you know, happen to be pro union that are easy to go to? So uh, from my understanding, and they can jump in, the, the faculty association, it's not a union, but it's like it. I don't think they have the legal protections of the union, but there's an association. And an email was sent out recently telling them to support us. So I find now like faculty are receptive, though I don't try to push too hard. But yeah, I find that, that you know they see us coming, oh, okay, talk to my TAs. Like another thing that we try to do just to uh, is go to where they're proctoring. So if there's an exam, you'll find like two TAs there and a professor. And so you'll find the professor is like, oh, okay, I know where you're, what you're here for. Go talk to them. I can uh, jump in and say that, yes, we have gotten uh, POW, the faculty association, to give us like, I don't know if it was an endorsement, but at least it was like a vetting of us to do class talks. They sent out a notice for that. Um, and I can say that like for every email that I've sent to a professor to do a class talk with, I've never found like a hostile faculty member. If they decline the class talk, it's because they don't have time, or at least that's what they say. Um, one uh, faculty member did respond to my email by saying that they'll pass. Um, and that's it. They said, I'll pass. Thanks. And I was like, okay, that, that's valid. But um, so I've, I've only had like neutral to like extremely enthusiastic professors. Like there are some faculty members who are like, I've had a faculty member like extremely enthusiastic and like asking how they can help and like what emails they can send out to like help support the initiative. So I've been surprised by the extent to which faculty members are supportive. Maybe this is like more of a broad point than our specific university, but I think um, we're not really organizing against our professors. Like, I think ultimately we are trying to pull resources towards things like teaching and researching um, rather than like take the, 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 the couple pennies that our professors have to the TAs. 
like we're trying to get more resources for all of us. And so they're less stressed out trying to pay their students and they can fund some of their research. And so like when I've, I've talked to like a few professors and like when they like don't know anything about it and then maybe they're like, oh, if you want all the money, like I, I, I think it's, it helps that like we're kind of doing this where we're on the same team in my opinion. And like, um, I, I was listening to something about like Rutgers um, unionizing or, or the Rutgers union. And I've, I heard that like their, what's it, their, their faculty union and the TA union and like the, uh, the, the, like the, all the unions on campus kind of work together. Um, and so when one of them has like an issue, they can all like kind of do something together. And that's kind of the, the vision that I personally am not speaking for the union, but I personally like think that like, uh, with other unions, like we're, we're much stronger and like professors are workers as well. I think also with uh, this industry, right, there's a sense in which a lot of TAs have in mind that they want to become professors and all professors were TAs. So there is this sort of like, at least somewhat of a, a mutual understanding. Uh, at least you would hope, of course, it doesn't work out. <laughs> Not everyone is as receptive uh, for their own political and, and other biases that they might have. Also, like at the end of the day, we're doing research for the professors, right? So if we can't pay our rent, like that's going to, like everyone has a part-time job now and that's affecting research. So the university has the money to pay for a fair compensation. At the moment, it just doesn't want to. How has the employer reacted to this? Have you gotten any reaction from them at all? Touristically quiet, actually. Usually they push back a lot harder. But when that happens, you also get kind of scared, you know? Things might be cooking in the background. I don't know what's happening. What are they doing? Um, I can speak for the sessionals drive at the very least. When they unionized in December, um, I was on the vote polling team. So I was calling people, telling them to vote and stuff. And, you know, I was also getting cards signed at the, at the last minute. They just got some dandy lawyers from Toronto to write a, a very long letter with um, that had the faculty association and staff associations um documents freely available online copy and pasted in it mostly and uh, didn't do a whole lot which is you know works for us i guess but uh, also that might uh now that they've um, realized having no response at all is does, uh, doesn't like work in practice because the sessionals are unionized maybe they might i don't know uh start doing things we still have to wait and see i guess I don't have anything to add, but have we, um, should we offer the clarifying point? Because I don't know if we've talked about the sessional drive yet, but like Organize UW started as a drive that included RAs, TAs, and sessional instructors. And to clarify, a sessional instructor, if uh, you don't know what that is, that's a um, contract instructor. So they're, they're not like a faculty, they're not part of the faculty association. They're someone who's hired like for one contract to teach a course. Um, and the organized UW originally included sessionals, but the sessionals were able to break off and like they could form a union and they filed for that last winter. They uh, voted 83% in favor of unionization. Are they under the same union then as what you're, you're going for? Or did they unionize under a different uh, union? They formed a different bargaining unit. So what what happens is when you go into um, uh, you waltz into the labor board's offices or whatever, they categorize workers 
according to what kind of jobs they what kind of work they do what kind of jobs they perform so since sessional instructors are actually teaching courses whereas teaching assistants are like subordinates so it's a different kind of job research assistants and teaching assistants get um for can form like one bargaining unit and sessional instructors can form another bargaining unit so they were two different drives running in tandem under the aegis or like under the name of organized uw so uh, they crossed that threshold and they were able to file in december and then they had their vote and everything and 83 percent of them voted yes for a union and now they're like um unionized they're going through the bargaining process making their bylaws which is like something that you have to do when you can when you get officially certified so they're through the beginning stages of uh negotiating their contracts and collective agreements and stuff has that i guess uh coverage of that or the fact that that's happening has that helped you with your or like going through with your union drive like does has has it been publicized at all? Like, do, do people know that this is happening? And Yes, they definitely do. It's been happening. We've been, uh, like, uh, advertising it and uh, telling people, well, if the sessionals can do it, why not us, you know? <laughs> yes, and also now we have, like, an official union that um, that actually, that exists, which actually supports us, I guess. A, a local, I mean, a local that exists on, on campus at our university that's intimately tied into whatever we're doing and they can help us out. So I got two more questions that are more, I guess, on the proactive front. But I guess if if I wanted to go through each one of you and just any advice for anyone who's starting a union, whether it be in the academic sector or at all. Grow thick skin, Uh, that's that's my first thing. Uh, You'll get a lot of rejections and don't take it personally. Sometimes it's just they're ignorant. Sometimes they just don't have time. And so just get used to hearing no and just being, oh, okay, take care. And then maybe you'll see them a year later and they'll change their mind. So that's my first point is that just don't take it personally if someone says no. Like, I was thinking similar advice in that you are going to talk with people who have had, like, experience uh, in the past that makes them reticent about forming a union. Um, And I found that uh, really good advice that I've heard um, and think I can give is that, uh, like, engaging with them honestly and openly and, like, uh, finding, like, what it is, what specific experiences they have talk with like the, the advice I'd give is like talk with your coworkers, be like as uh, engage with them as openly and honestly as you can um, as long as they're not being uh, obstinate um, because like you need to like to form a strong union since it's a collective body it's all of us like wanting to like represent ourselves to the employers and we truly believe that like the way to do that is understanding your working conditions and being able to like talk at the like level, like at the bargaining table with university, like having that capacity to do that. If you truly believe that a union is effective, then like you can engage in these conversations. Um, and like that is the necessary basis for your union to have this like strong collective understanding of how you can improve your working conditions and how to engage with your employer. Um, yeah, I wanted to say just start discussing your financial situation with everybody. Be open about <laughs> how much money you're making, what your rent is, like uh, how much uh, credit card debt you have, 
and uh, how much money you spend on groceries every week and stuff and um, all that all that whole song and dance you know because um, at the end of the day that's like a, a foundational to that's why you are making a union get uh, getting more money sometimes people don't even know that they're not getting enough they might not know that their friends are getting paid like uh 40% or something than them just to you know give an example and it so they might not be supportive at first of uh the initiative at all but uh try to if you try to nudge your friends into like that direction oh start discussing everything openly with you what's that what's the taboo about you know yeah discuss your financial situation and discuss money yeah start pocket watching that's awesome advice so true yeah <laughs> that's great i really have found recently that like wearing my heart on my sleeve and like making it known that like i'm the union guy in my office um is a thing that like allows people to first of all talk to me about the union which is great like or not just about the union but like people have started coming up to my desk to like talk about like ta work conditions and like issues they've been having and i think that's great to have like that kind of like a consciousness sort of develop in your office and the other thing it does is when you're you like have kind of the courage to like show that like this is the thing that like i care about like i think a lot of people are a little sometimes like worried to show that they're interested in a union and i know this isn't great advice for all unions because sometimes you want to organize in secret but not being afraid to like uh show that you're organizing a union makes other people not be afraid to show it as well and i think to make like a mass movement on campus that's a really really or wherever you're working is a really really important thing and so yeah it's it, it is like for me it is like uh sometimes like a scary thing to do um even if it's just like wearing a pin i don't know i'm kind of i'm i'm kind of uh sometimes sometimes i'm like worried about what uh, certain people like feel about unions and maybe they like respect me less in my place of work. But ultimately this is a thing that's like really important to me. Um, so I've, you know, I think, I think it's, it's really important to kind of show what you're interested in. And I think that really helps the cause. Just like to add to that too. I think one thing that is like underrated is that a lot of people might be interested in a union but are, are nervous about it and when you see other people wearing a pin or even just showing that they also care about unionization like that it's amazing how much that can have an effect even if like they're say more quiet and not open about their politics yeah totally that's Definitely. that's kind of what i was trying to get into and you worded that really well but yeah yeah like that <laughs> I, I think that that's an important thing and i hope that that's having the effect that i feel like it's having my final question is you know, uh, you're you're forming, you're trying to form this union. Is there anything, because you've already mentioned things internally about how people who are at Waterloo can get involved and help with this process. But is there is there any sort of like support that you might need that's not on campus or, or anything that say listeners to this audience who might not, uh, you know, might not even be in Waterloo? What's... What are ways in which uh, people can help you in your, your efforts? Yeah, if you go to organize UW, all one word, uh, dot org, um, and get in contact with us, like find our email or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, um, slide in to the DMs. Um, yeah, like, like there's a lot of um, work that we need to do that's not directly on campus, like a lot of database stuff, a lot of like contacting people, a lot of, uh, you know, just sending emails. And so like, 
if you're like uh, open to helping out or just, I don't know, following us on any of those socials and like sharing sometimes if, if, if there's a tweet or anything, um, that's a huge help just getting the word out. So yeah, that's, that's all I can think of right now. But if other people have stuff. Also, when we're going to start filing, we're going to need phone banking. And you can picture there's like thousands of teaching assistants and research assistants. And so hopefully soon, we don't know when, but if you just put your email out and say, I'd be willing to volunteer for that, even if it's a couple of calls, we'll have you on a list. And when we need you, we can ask for you. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for talking and good luck. I, I have, uh, as someone who used to be an ununionized TA at Waterloo and then became a unionized TA at Western, uh, I could definitely say that being unionized was better. So <laughs> I do I do hope that you succeed on your journey. And thank you so much for being a, a guest on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. You know, after this one million views, I'm sure, where <laughs> our content is gonna shoot you through the roof, Hollywood or whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. It's my first podcast. So I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, thank you very much for having us. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Arslan doesn't want to thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Is what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want it if you want it recorded though, you got to say it again while we're silent. No, I think laughter, like while I'm saying it, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I want you to else. put that specific. You can delete all the rest. <laughs> you, 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 I, I would request you to put that particular part in definitely. Yes, I do appreciate that as well. The request has been submitted. So, <laughs> oh, is it like the university request where like I complain and then yeah. it, goes, it goes nowhere? Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll get filed somewhere. Okay, okay, yeah. we need to unionize the podcasters. I'd like to thank again Albara, Arslan, Julia, and Max. Don't forget to follow Organize UW on social media and check out their website if you can help them at some point in the future at organizeuw.org. Before we leave the first episode, I want to shout out my patrons who continued to support me as we shifted into this new project. So shout out to Chris, Dan, Mo, Chris, Nate, Ken, Ryan, Alex, and Tim. Your support means so much to me. If you want to be as generous as these wonderful people, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com laborintensive. By becoming a patron, you can get access to a special patron-exclusive podcast with my co-host, Eric Wickham of Big Shiny Takes, and is also a member of the Harbinger Media Network. And we call this special podcast Bad Books by Bad People. We are almost done with our first book, which is Shakedown by Ezra Levant. Chapter 6 is going to be up as this podcast comes out. And we should return to releasing those special episodes monthly. So if you become a patron, you will have access to that show. With all that said, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. This podcast is part of the Harbinger Media Network, which is a community of progressive podcasts. Visit their website at harbingermedianetwork.com to listen to other incredible left-leaning podcasts.
Thanks as well to Dan Van Winden, who produced the music for this podcast. If you want to follow Labor Intensive on social media, find links to our social media accounts in the show notes of this episode. 